It's time to run the pass. My guest today is Dr. Hamali Patel. Uh, Dr. Patel is a board-certified practicing physician in internal medicine at One Medical. She's also the medical director for chronic care management and remote patient monitoring. Uh, Dr. Patel speaks frequently on lifestyle medicine and population health topics to empower and educate individuals using the latest advances in health and wellness. Uh, Welcome, Dr. Patel. Nice to see you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. How are you? I'm doing great. Actually, um, you know, a lot of a lot of people don't know you actually came to the Fairmont Hotel a couple of uh, what feels like a couple of weeks ago and you gave a a big presentation and that's where we met. Um, And I found uh, your talk inspiring, uh, interesting, uh, but really important uh, to really what the industry is facing right now. Um, and I wanted to get right into it. I know we're going to talk about a lot of different things, but uh, before we get into that, can you just tell uh, you know the audience that's listening a little bit about yourself and your background and and uh, you know how we got to this point? Yeah, thanks so much. Um, I am an internal medicine physician in San Francisco. I have a background in nutrition and lifestyle medicine as well as internal medicine, and uh, my interest in the field of burnout wellness in general lifestyle um, really stems from my own experience as a physician seeing colleagues burn out and seeing how much you know your well-being is tied to your environment and the people that you interact with but also you know this kind of integrative focus that I think healthcare is trending towards and so um, I have a lot of family who uh, work in the hospitality industry. I think healthcare and hospitality is very similar in that you're providing a service and the outcome to that service is very much attached on the person's experience, but your experience kind of makes or breaks the person's experience that you're giving it, it to the service to. Um, and so just seeing my own family kind of especially during COVID, deal with how much the hospitality industry shifted and uh, the amount of stress that was going on. And then this kind of backlash or whiplash, I guess you would call it, of then all of a sudden people are out and about and they need to ramp up. And now you're kind of needing to ramp up yourself in terms of where you're showing up to work and how you're showing up to work. Um, really put you know, the stress of burnout or the emphasized, I guess, burnout, um, in a, in a more profound way. And so, yeah, I came to the Fairmont to give a talk around self-care and I love discussing self-care because there's so much science behind it. A lot of people think that it is a little bit more soft or wishy-washy, but there's so much evidence that when you take care of yourself, it not only increases your well-being, but it also increases productivity, efficiency, it improves a company's ROI, um, and you really get the best outcomes from people and maximize outcomes. And so I love speaking around the science behind well-being, self-compassion, wellness, because I think that's when you can really get to the core of starting to change people's thoughts around why they should take care of themselves and how they can go about doing that. So, you know, I guess, I guess to dive right in, uh, what do you think some of the best practices, what do you recommend for people that are, that are facing burnout right now in hospitality or other industries? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, it's one thing to recognize a lot of people don't know that they are. And so you're kind of like running super duper fast. And then all of a sudden you just 
put the brakes on and you can't go the same speed that you were. And so um, I don't, I think a lot of people don't realize that they are burnt out until they are. And then they're out of whatever it is that they were doing. Um, so kind of sheltering in place, working from home, et cetera, you're kind of like, wow, I was exhausted, especially now as I'm seeing even my patients kind of get back into the workforce full time. It's almost like I can't do the same amount is what they say that I could do pre pandemic. Um, and so I think it's recognizing, and it takes a little bit of practice, but recognizing what those symptoms are. And you can Google search, you know, symptoms or burnout, but a lot of it has to do with um, not feeling that sense of purpose purpose-driven uh, um, focus that you had before. And it's, it, it, in other words, depersonalization from whatever it is that you're working on. So you're not driven in the same way. Um, and there's almost like a little bit more lackluster. Or if you're waking up and you're just like, oh my gosh, why do I have to, I don't want to go to work anymore. There's something to that. And it's starting to kind of be a little bit more self-reflective around why is that the case? Because once you identify it, hopefully you identify it early on, you really can do a lot to turn around that feeling so that it doesn't cause you to quit your job randomly or, you know, take a year off because you need to just like not work anymore um, because it's too much. Mm. It's it's really interesting that you say that. I was speaking to, uh, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of chefs recently. A lot of them have changed industries. A lot of people have just uh, left their job to start something new, to start a new passion project. And I guess that's a symptom of burnout, you know, that maybe, you know, maybe the pandemic, you know, caused them to face um, how truly how happy they were in, in, in the job. Was it fulfilling? Um, but it's interesting, specifically, you said something. I talked to someone, they said, I just feel different inside. Uh, that was a recent conversation that I had with someone. They said they feel different on the inside. Um, and that that's the reason that they were leaving their job. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a good, I mean, it's a good point. I think that especially right now, people don't know what to feel. I, I think it's it's easing into whatever it is you're going to do next, not necessarily making snap decisions because everything's so much in flux and transition that you want to ground into whatever it is that you're doing, have a routine, keep something consistent because so many things are changing so rapidly. You're, you're kind of almost wanting to make a change as well. And it might not be the change that you should take or you do need. It might be, you know, let me just wait for things to shake out a little bit and let me just accept the fact that things are in transition and I'm just going to be more thoughtful or more, um, yeah, I guess more thoughtful in, in the way that I approach things. So interesting that you brought up the, the routine. If someone was looking to start a routine, are you talking about like a morning ritual or an evening ritual or are you, are you talking about more of a daily work routine? Yeah, I mean, I think that it can be one and the same. Just having a routine that's for you. So you personally, it has nothing to do with your family, has nothing to do with work. But, you know, like when I was in med school, something I really enjoyed doing is, you know, working out, making coffee, reading the paper. But there's no way that I can do all of that and make it to school on time. I shifted my morning so I would wake up earlier in the morning. And it started with more just like, I'm just going to wake up an extra 15 minutes early so I can brew my coffee and not look at my phone or not run to work. It's more just I'm going to take this time. And and I think it. most people think that it has to be a huge up, a huge shift in your 
life and it's too difficult to do that. But really it could be low hanging fruit. Like I'm going to drink two glasses of water every morning. I mean, even that small shift, you're doing something for yourself. It's grounded in a routine that is just for you and it helps you stay centered. So that when, when you come to work, it's not like you've gone straight from your bed into work and now you're on for someone else. It's really, especially I think in the service industry, when you're giving so much, it can feel very exhausting to then come home and give some more. What you, The best thing you could do is give to yourself first and then give to others. And you'll notice that even if it's deep breathing, you can then take a few moments in your day at work and do a couple deep breaths and you'll kind of get back into that place of like calmness, thoughtfulness. It'll slow you down and you'll be able to go faster. So when it comes to morning routines, just so you know, I have a three-hour morning routine, mm. sometimes two and a half before I go to work. Uh, so I, I I really hate that super early shift if I have to go in like at five in the morning. Yeah. So that means I usually got to get up like 3 a.m. Uh, to make sure I get everything done because I can't break my morning routine. I think that's exactly it. Like you can't break your morning routine, but I think that is why you're as successful as you are and you're very calm. And I mean, you're in an industry where it's not common to see a lot of chefs super calm, but you're very calm, but it's, it's because of that. And you almost do have to be selfish around it, but I, I'm curious to know what your routine is. If you can share, <laughs> I can share. I'll, I'll share some <laughs> of it. So, uh, it, it's long. So wake up. First thing I do is I, I read, uh, then I meditate and then I make myself breakfast. Um, and then I, while I'm, while I'm making breakfast, I'm listening to an audio book at the same time. Um, and then I read the financial news, um, and then I read a health blog that I like, and then I, I, I play these Lumosity games for about 30 minutes. And then when I'm done with that, I play a game of chess. Um, I practice uh, Italian on Duolingo. Um, I do some math puzzles. Um, and then I read another book, uh, you know, just a few pages of whatever other book that I'm reading. Um, and then I work out and then I get ready for work. Oh my God. That's so awesome. Good for you. That is incredible. That's really cool. And that, how did it start? Like, was it, because I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't all of those things all at once for three hours. Did it start with something smaller? Yeah. It, it started initially with just, uh, you know, morning mindfulness uh, routine. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what it started and reading. So those were the two things. And then it just, it, it gradually expanded, um, adding more and more and more and more. And, you know, it, the morning routine is probably the highlight of my day. Um, yeah. it's the one thing that I don't change. Yep, exactly. That's the same for me, but it's funny because for, even for some clients and patients that, that start this, it'll start out with something so small and then they build upon it. And now all of a sudden they have like an hour or three hour routine, but they're, they're so possessive about it. But what's great is that they figured out how to make it work for their lifestyle. And I think that's the surprise. It's like, oh, I guess I could do this. It's just a matter of like, how did I fit it in? So I love that. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at it as how, how do I make myself just a little bit better every day? And it's like, okay, if I could read more, if I could study more, if I could, um, you know, be more relaxed, that'll make me better when I get to work. Um, so that's how I look at it. But you mentioned breathing exercises. Um, what are, what are some of your, uh, what are some of the breathing exercises that you recommend, uh, especially that might be good for industry people, servers, cooks, people that work in the hospitality industry? Yeah. I mean, there are so many different breath work is so popular and there's so many different types of breath work, but one that can be really simple is just 
Um, and I did this exercise at the Fairmont, but kind of putting your hand over your heart for a second or wherever you feel like you're safe, if you don't want to put it on your heart and you don't want anyone to see, that's also fine. But, um, taking a deep breath in that's deep inside your belly and feeling your chest rise and then holding it for three seconds and exhaling through pursed lips. So like exhaling as if you have a straw in your, in your mouth and you're breathing through there and really emptying out that breath fully so that your stomach, it's literally coming from your stomach and doing that two or three times. Most people notice that they feel a little dizzy or lightheaded, but it's so quick to do and you really start to slow down. And I think in an, in an industry where you're constantly reacting, it allows you to be uh, reacting at a split second faster so that things aren't coming at you so fast. And so I always use like the karate kid kind of example of the wax on wax off, but, um, you're able to see things coming at you from all different angles instead of just this kind of, you know, tunnel vision. And that's what happens when people have a lot of stress and they have panic attacks or anxiety attacks or whatever, because there's just so many things going on your body goes in this fight or flight mode and you only, and you kind of catastrophize things and you only see one thing. You're not seeing all the different things. So when you just take that split second to slow yourself down and do a couple, you know, two or three, uh, deep breaths and they, where you hold and you then properly exhale all of a sudden, and it, it's physiologic too. your, body slows down, your heart rate slows down, tells your brain that you actually don't need to be in that fight or flight. And then you're able to see things from a different perspective and things don't seem so overwhelming to you. Mm. How much does uh, sleep affect, um, you know, someone's next day at work or, you know, recovery? Um, what are, what do you think some of the, um, the benefits of a good restful night's sleep are? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely quality over quantity for sure with sleep because you could have, you know, I think a lot of people think that they need eight hours or nine hours of sleep, which I mean, as much sleep as you need is always great. But if you're getting eight hours where you're tossing and turning versus, you know, five hours of dedicated good quality sleep, you're going to want to do the five hours of good quality sleep, I would argue over the eight hours of you just kind of tossing and turning. And so that's the first thing. And I think a lot of that has to do with sleep hygiene. You know, what is your bedtime routine when you do go to sleep? Do you have a ton of stuff on your um, bed? Is it is your room cluttered with things that remind you of work? Like, so first creating an environment that's very conducive to relaxation and rest is very key in order for you to get the quality of sleep. And then in terms of quantity, and the way that I would kind of measure this is just how do you feel when you wake up? Do you feel exhausted or do you feel energized like you can get up out of bed? I will say that chronic lack of sleep, so sleep where it's constantly disturbed and or very short hours of sleep that happens continuously for you know months and months and months can then cause your, um, well, it raises your cortisol levels. People become a little bit more irritable. Um, you're more fatigued at work, so you're not necessarily as alert as you would want to be. And, you know, reaction times, et cetera, start to decrease. But in if you can get good quality of sleep and start to kind of add back time and, and have a good routine around sleep, it can actually be really, really beneficial to when you come to work because, your cortisol levels aren't as high because your your melatonin has 
appropriately increased at night, and that's always your rest and repair hormone. And so theoretically, you should be a little bit more um, able to take on whatever is coming at you for the day. Mm. So to someone that, that, uh, that, that's listening right now and that's, that gets a horrible night's sleep and they said, you know, what are, what are a few practical tips um, that I could start doing to get a better night's sleep? What, what, kind, of, what kind of things could they start uh, doing to get a, a more restful sleep? Yeah, so I would just say survey your environment first and foremost. So if, you know, kind of really make sure that your environment at least is conducive to sleep. Put your phone away. Your Our phones are so distracting. And so if you're waking up in the middle of the night or you're on your phone right up until you go to sleep, um, you're really not getting the maximum amount of quality of sleep because the blue light that's emitted from your phone um, can really affect your melatonin production. It can definitely affect um, how your brain signals that it's time to rest. And then having some sort of wind down routine is super important as well. So, um, you know, some people take a bath, some people light a little candle, aromatherapy. They make so many uh, aromatherapy scents now for uh, sleep. And then if you end up waking up in the middle of the night, try not to reach for your phone. So ideally your phone's in a different place and in a perfect world, you have one of those old school alarm clocks where um, it wakes you up when you need to wake up. But if you're up in the middle of the night and you're like, let me just see what time it is, it's usually always that culprit where it's very innocent, like you're just looking to see what time it is, but then all of a sudden you see like, you know, a newspaper article that's popped up or a bunch of messages that's popped up and then you're like, oh, what? so, you know, what would have been a split second of just checking the time is now like an hour and a half because you've, you're activated. Um and that can be hard then to go back to sleep because when you see something interesting, it signals to your brain, turn on. And you don't want to turn on in the middle of the night. So those are kind of quick um, quick tips and tricks that can start to help you. I will say the phone out of the room is probably one of the biggest. I teach our sleep classes um, and uh, having my patients take the phone out of the room, they just they, – they feel and can tell such a big difference. And just try as an experiment, if you, if whoever's listening, um, to put your phone out of the room one night and then bring it back in the room the next night and see just does it make a difference or not. So while we're on the subject of sleep, you know, a lot of a lot of cooks and servers, uh, you know, that that work in the restaurant industry, they work the late night shift. They get off late at night. They're hungry. They they go to the bar. Uh, is how bad is that affecting their sleep? You know, if they if they get out of work. You know, they're, they're on this adrenaline rush from service. They go to the bar. They have a couple of drinks. They stop by, you know, in Texas, we have the Whataburger um, and they mm-hmm. get some fast food and then they go to sleep. Yeah. So uh, you, the rule of thumb is that you're not really eating a ton of food at least two or three hours before you go to bed. That's not necessarily the most practical rule of thumb because a lot of people can't do that. I would imagine that if you're working you know, throughout the evening, you probably haven't put anything in your mouth and then you do, you are, your adrenaline's rushing and you do want to kind of wind down and eat or drink something. The only thing with that is that your body temperature, when you sleep and to get good quality of sleep, your body temperature drops significantly at night and your heart rate drops as well. And that kind of signals to your brain things are kind of calming down so I can work on repairing and restoring all the things that I needed to do from the day. When you eat something, you're actually revving up 
your meta- you're revving up the met- your metabolism because now you have to digest whatever you just ate. Um, sugar from alcohol will definitely cause a spike in um, adrenaline. So kind of conversely, your your already your adrenaline's already high. Sugar and alcohol together is going to kind of rev that up a little bit, and then your body doesn't get a chance to, your heart rate also picks up as well when you're, when you have to digest food. And so it is the exact, the mechanisms in which your body needs to actually get good quality of sleep turn off because it's focused on digestion. There are things that you can do and eat, um, that can mitigate that. So if you are hungry at night, always reaching for something a little bit more protein heavy and less carb, um, focused is, is helpful and just a little bit more like good fat, but not bad fat. So not saturated fats or things like that, unless it's like an avocado, but, um, you know, something that's going to actually kind of satiate you, but not cause such a ramp up in glucose, like an, a carbohydrate would. I, I, I like the fact that you mentioned, uh, the, the temperature when I go to bed, I usually, um, you know, I bring the temperature down to like 68 degrees or something like that. And I notice I sleep a lot better, uh, when the room is cool, um, I, I, am not good at keeping my phone outside. Um, you know, I, I wake up several times a night, uh, or maybe not several times, but once a night and I, I check to see if I have any texts or, and then I get up and then i start checking my email. I drink a glass of water and I can go back <laughs> to bed. I need to, yeah. I need to stop doing that. We're, we're, we're all imperfect beings. I mean, I kind of, I can't say that I'm the best at doing that all the time, but I try and do it as much as possible. Cause I definitely notice it in my day. So I, we're in interesting times right now in the industry. I've, I've noticed that, um, you know, there's been a lot of stress uh, with the pandemic. You know, like we talked about earlier, a lot of people are changing careers. Uh, and I think there's probably never been uh, a, a more important time right now to talk about, uh, you know, restaurants, hospitality industry, and, you know, all industries are, are, are across um, to start thinking about more uh, resources for their employees to to look at overall well being from mental to physical health. Um, so I, I'm really appreciative that you came on the show, and and got to talk talk about this a little bit. So I noticed that you have a background in nutrition. So I, I just want to talk about that a lot because um, a lot of the hospitality industry, uh, the the easy things that we get when it comes to food. I mean, first of all, we're surrounded by food all day. Um, and sometimes the easiest things that we could grab are the French fries or the croissant or the chocolate chip cookie um, instead of, you know, reaching for an apple or something like that. Um, so looking for some some practical advice when it comes to nutrition um, for restaurant servers, restaurant cooks, you know, if we were looking to build a little snack pack or to um, have a really healthy breakfast that's going to get us charged up. Uh, maybe to make it through service, you know, what, what kind of, what kind of things should we be considering? Yeah. I think that trying to a, anything that's going to be hydrating will always increase your energy, but will keep you satiated for a long time. So Christopher's vegetables are always kind of a go-to. So cucumber, celery, um, broccoli, uh, carrots, all of those things kind of will, you know, they have a lot of, they're high in water content. And so, um, you'll get more kind of bang for your buck in terms of longevity with snacks like that. 
Um, things that are higher in protein can also be helpful. So like hard boiled eggs, um, low sodium, uh, meats, if you can get your hands on that or like chicken breast, um, can be helpful just because the sodium tends to also make people feel hungry, um, and crave more foods. And then if you do have a sweet tooth, then like high percentage dark chocolate, any type of fruit like berries or something like that, just so that it's rapid glucose that you need, but there's also fiber attached to that is always going to kind of keep your energy stores up and it's going to stop you from craving. Because the thing is that's tricky is that you get these cravings when you're stressed because your adrenaline is going and not stressed mentally, but it's like just stress of, you know, having to physically do all the things that you're trying to do at, at, at night or in a shift. And so um, you want to even like kind of like pre-shift, you think about like fueling up. And this is kind of what people do when, well, what some people do when you're, they're prepping for like surgery or a night shift in the hospital is you're thinking about how to pre-fuel before you go in for your shift because you don't know when you're going to actually get food. Um, and you could be doing like a 10 hour shift or a 14 hour shift and, and, or 14 hour surgery or something like that. And you just don't know when you're going to be able to get something nutritious in. So, um, thinking first like protein and then something that's high in fiber because fiber is always going to keep you fuller longer. Um, nuts and seeds are always good um, because it's good quality fat and fiber and protein. And then, you know, having some source of uh, sugar that's not necessarily going to cause you to crash because the things like the French fries and the donuts and the croissants and all that stuff, it, it just causes such a, the minute your body hits that or the minute you hit that, um, the minute it hits your stomach, it starts to rev your cortisol even more. It starts to uh, it hits your brain uh, as uh, in terms of your reward system. So your brain actually starts to crave it, and then it causes a cascade of different types of um, hormones to be released to then make you want to have more. And what it does is it will temporarily spike your energy level. Um, but it'll crash way further down than when you had started with your initial craving. And so, and then you're just kind of on this yo-yo cycling because then you're just kind of reaching for anything that you can to kind of get you back up to that level of energy that you had with the first bite. And you never get to that energy level that you had with the first bite, which is interesting. You mentioned uh, reaching for fruit um, and eating it just because it has the fiber with it. Uh, where do you stand on juice? I've heard a lot of uh, mixed reviews that some people stay away from juice. Some people say it's okay. Um, where do you stand? Yeah. I mean, I think juice just acts as rapid glucose. So unless you're like a diabetic who need, you know, where your sugar's bottoming out, juice can be really helpful. Otherwise, and unless you're going to have like a four ounce glass of juice or a cup of juice, um, it's probably better to just get it in the whole fruit form because in order to get an eight ounce glass of orange juice for anyone who's made orange juice from scratch before, that's a lot of oranges. It surpasses your recommended daily value and it's got a ton of sugar. And so you don't want that much sugar going in you very quickly because in the same way a candy bar would do, it's going to spike your um, energy, but then you're going to crash really hard very quickly. So uh, I'm always a big fan of getting it from um, whole sources rather than, you know, processed down into, uh, and juice, it's not necessarily processed, but um, you're just 
eating a lot more, you're, you're getting a lot, you're consuming a lot more than you think you are in a juice and you consume it fast. A lot of people on the go, they're just consuming really fast. And so it doesn't slow you down. Smoothies okay because the you know the fruit is already blended in it, or would you would you prefer someone to to chew it? Yeah, just you still always want to chew. It's you want to chew your smoothies because it actually helps activate digestive enzymes that are crucial to breaking foods down and that are crucial to your gut microbiome. And so um, smoothies are fine, but you just also want to be careful like how much fruit you're actually using in a smoothie because a lot of smoothies can be super high in calories and sugar because you think of it as a healthy option. So you start dumping it, you know, like first goes the strawberries, then you're like, I'm gonna add mangoes, then I'm gonna add like some banana. And before you know it, you might as well have had like a regular thing of ice cream um, uh, over the smoothie because you just kind of made yourself a little <laughs> ice cream equivalent. <laughs> now, now for the, for the person that's waking up early in the morning and they're, you know, someone like myself, uh, you know, I get up and I make my breakfast. If I'm if I'm looking for uh, that energy to get me through the day, what type of what type of breakfast should I, I be looking at? It if I'm working in the kitchen and I'm on my feet all day and I'm running around and I need physical energy and I also need a lot of mental energy in, in my position where you know where I'm dealing with uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm dealing with challenges. I'm in meetings all day. I got to think. I'm crunching numbers. I'm writing menus. I'm putting out fires. What do you think? Yeah, nothing that's going to slow you down, essentially. Like, it, you want to have, like, so something that's higher in protein. Um, and then if you're, if you need, like, the rapid, if you need the, you need fiber to get you kind of through the day and also hold your sugar levels more. So oatmeal, but oatmeal that's got, like, flax meal and chia seeds and, you know, berries inside it. Um, and you can add, like, a little bit of honey or maple syrup or something like that. But, when you add things into your oats, you're actually getting a higher fiber uh, content and it's going to keep you fuller for longer. And then if you're drinking water after you have that much fiber, you feel full for a very, very long time. So that's kind of like the the one thing you don't want to start your day is, is with um, like a pastry or a muffin or something like that because those will spike your glucose and that sets you up on this roller coaster of um, a, your you know your energy going up and your energy going down like and you can experiment with it. I mean it's not fun to experiment with that because I I don't like feeling fatigued during the day um, but I'm sure everyone's had like you know a delicious pancake breakfast and two hours later or three hours later you just want to take a nap and so that's kind of like the what not to do if you want to have a productive day. So where do, where do you stand on, um, you know, I know, I know intermittent fasting is very popular right now or, or ketogenic diets, um, you know, especially for industry people where we might be working a 10 hour shift and during that 10 hour shift, maybe they don't have an opportunity to take a break. Um, do you, do you feel that those, um, those types of diets might be good for people that are on their feet all day or because they're on their feet all day, they should get, you know, a regular, um, you know, some regular meals throughout? Yeah. I mean, I think actually intermittent fasting is fine. It's just what you're doing when you break an intermittent fast. And so intermittent fasting does not mean because you didn't eat for, you know, 14 to 16 hours a day, you can go and like kill a burrito and like, you know, French fries and, two beers, et cetera. And then like, oh, I've intermittent fasted. That's going to really set yourself up for failure. But if you intermittently fast and you break your fast with a big, huge bowl of vegetables and you and like a lean piece of protein or just vegetables, if you're plant-based, um, 
and really whole foods with good starches, then it can be actually really helpful. And especially on like days where you know you've got a lot going on, sometimes, you know, kind of fasting, it allows your energy stores to ramp up. But there is there is caution. I mean, everyone should kind of try, if you've never tried intermittent fasting, start out slow, you know, find what works for you because the last thing you want to do, and it's especially um, important for people who are always on the go to be so starving because you pushed yourself to the limit and then you're eating everything in sight. Like if that's the case, it's not worth intermittent fasting. But if you want to go like eight hours where you're really not eating anything, but you're drinking, like you're staying hydrated and then your first meal that you're going to break is something that's healthy or like it's going to be a snack and then you're going to eat something like have that snack be you know, a handful of almonds or cashews and then break it with a nutritious, well-balanced, whole um, whole food type of meal instead of something that's super processed. The next question I have, a lot of, uh, a lot of chefs are going to be mad at me by asking this, but uh, mm-hmm. we need to stay caffeinated all day. <laughs> a lot of us do. Um, so, you <laughs> yeah. know, my, my, my caffeine of choice is usually, you know, I have two or three cups of coffee in the morning. Um, and then about midday, I'll have a, a cup of green tea. But uh, you know, they, a lot of them reach for the sports drinks. Uh, I'm sorry, not the sports drinks, like um, like a Red Bull or something like that. I, I guess I don't know. Yeah, what those, like the energy those drinks. Are called. Yeah, energy drinks. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, where where do you stand on that? I think I mean, coffee and green tea and all of those things are great. Energy drinks can just be a disaster to your heart and to um, your adrenaline levels. It can cause adrenaline, uh, adrenal fatigue because it's push, it's taxing your body further than what it, your, your brain stores and your body stores can keep up with. And so, um, I'm always careful around energy drinks in when my patients say, or what I've seen in the hospital when patients will like, you know, pound two or three, energy drinks and they come in because they're in VTAC and their heart's like going at 180 miles per hour and uh, uh, beats per minute and you're trying to slow it down and you realize that they have like three energy drinks to like get through finals or something. So those are obviously not, but I, I think that there are really cool ways to hydrate now that actually give you a fair amount of energy and there's different types of liquid hydration um, products in the market that are really clean. And that actually does work really well. Um, and I'm happy to kind of like link to some, um, that I recommend because I do think that we should hydrate smarter and simply just drinking water isn't necessarily the smartest way to actively hydrate yourselves. If you're constantly on the go, I mean, your body does need electrolytes. And so, you know, thinking through like, how do you make an electrolyte equivalent, um, sports drink that's actually healthy uh, is something to consider. And there are a lot of really good ones on the market now. And a lot of performance athletes and other people who uh, like endurance um, training, uh, uh, endurance trainers start to do it. And they've noticed a huge difference in their energy levels. I'll tell you, I, I know we talked about it a little bit uh, the other day when we were talking. Uh, I I didn't tell you this, but I used to, I used to be a boxer. Um, oh, cool. And one of the things that we used to do is, uh, um, you know, we'd make our own energy drinks where it would be, you know, a little bit of salt, um, you know, like a Himalayan pink salt or something like that. And the water, a little bit of uh, maple syrup and a little bit of lemon. And that would be yep. our, our, our sports drink. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's so funny because I tell my patients the same thing. I'm like, you can, you can buy the really fancy stuff or you can just make it. And I like say like the quick and dirty way of making it, which is a little bit of, a little bit of salt, um, a little bit of lemon and, um, some like rapid glucose, which is like, you know, maple syrup or something like that can be helpful or just get coconut water and add a tiny bit of salt into that with, uh, and then dilute it. And then any water that you do drink just drives that into the cells even more. And so you then hydrate a lot, a lot faster. And you actually do notice a difference in your fatigue levels. And you'll also notice a difference in your satiety levels. Like you won't feel hungry because a lot of times people feel hungry or they crave stuff. They're usually dehydrated. And so it's just a different way of thinking about, um, where you're getting your source of, of, or where, how to, how to curb that satiety set point. Mm. So, you know, coming full circle, we've talked about getting a good night's sleep. Uh, we've, we've talked about eating right. Uh, we've talked about, you know, some mindfulness practice. Uh, now, you know, maybe just to come full circle is, you know, when it comes to exercise and I know not everyone's going to be in the gym and, um, you know, but if we were looking for just like a basic, uh, amount of exercise, uh, what would you recommend for people right now? I mean, is it a little bit of yoga? Is it a little bit of stretching? Is it going for a walk or, or is all of that good? Yeah, I think all of it is good. I just think that however you can fit it in, honestly, walking is the best thing that you can do and it's free. So um, figure out how you can get, and now there are like fun ways to track your steps, but get your steps in. I mean, minimum 10,000 and, and maximum is just as long as you can go. But, um, and then I think for people that are constantly on their feet, doing some sort of stretching at the end of the day, um, just to make sure that your posture is not compromised or you're not kind of wearing down your joints faster than they need to is always a good idea. But walking is probably one of the best things that you can do for your heart. You don't need to quote unquote, go to the gym in order to get your workout. You can break it up in, and if, if you have like 15 minute breaks here and there, go outside, get some fresh air, go for a walk, walk around, you know, your property or whatever it might be. Take the stairs. All of those things count as exercise. We just don't think that they do. Interestingly, I heard a study that was recently done, or I don't know if it was recently done, but, um, in, in, telling people that they were actually getting exercise in the labor that they were doing for their job, it actually led to better outcomes, even though nothing really changed. They were always getting that, but they just didn't view it as exercise. But then telling them this is actually a form of exercise shifted how they felt overall and how productive they were, but then also in health outcomes. So they randomly started eating better because of that, which is a really cool thing to kind of see. So it doesn't have to be I can't work out because I can't get to the gym. It's you can kind of find opportunities in your work environment to get those things in. Hey Molly, thank you so much for being on the show. If people want to follow you or, or learn a little bit more about what you do, where can they find you? Yeah, um, my LinkedIn, and I can give that to you. I can't remember kind of my address off the top of uh, my head. And then my website, drhomali.com. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate it. I think I think after this, all of us will be able to be just a little bit healthier and more focused, um, <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully happier and, and uh, a little bit more mindful. So, so thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for all that you do. I appreciate it. Thank you.